Hi, I'm Ben Pilgreen, lead pastor of Epic Church in San Francisco, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Our vision here is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. But whether you're listening in from the city that we love here by the bay or wherever you might happen to be in the world today, I want you to know that I'm excited about what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in our Epic Church community. I hope you'll find this message encouraging and that it will inspire you to take your next steps along your faith journey. Tool, man, I think you might be disappointed by the DJ. I, I don't know if, if DJs use uh, records anymore. It's all digitized now, man. <laughs> He'll have a laptop in front of him. Um, having a good start matters. Having a good start matters. We, we would all agree, we would all say that starting well makes a difference on whether or not we finish something. And starting well also makes a difference if we do get to finish how well we finish. A good start matters in sports, right? If you surrender an early lead like the Niners are doing right now, um, especially a significant one, it's difficult to climb out of that hole, right? A good start matters. In bobsledding, any, any bobsledders in the house? No? I thought I'd have at least one. No. Um, I'm still going to use this example, even though we don't have any bobsledders in the house, because I think it's, it's appropriate. In, in bobsledding, right, um, even though the race isn't won in those first few seconds, right, when they're running and they're jumping into their sled and they actually track that time, right, how long does it take them? It, even though the race isn't won there, it's typical, though, that the, the teams that end up winning and end up meddling at the Olympics are those who have the best start times, even though the gap between the fastest time and the slowest time is not much when it comes to the start. But a good start matters. And this goes beyond sports, right? The foundation of a house, which is unseen but is the beginning of the structure, ensures that we, you get a stable home. Come on, just think about this in regards to start. Doesn't the start of your day kind of set the tone for the rest of your day, right? Reading the wrong email as you're rolling out of bed will just throw your entire, entire day into a tailspin. A good start matters. And that's why we, we say that we suggest for you to spend that first part of your day with God before you check emails, before you, you read the news, before you do anything else. Because a good start matters. But let me ask you a question that maybe you haven't thought about in some time. And it's this. What kind of start did you get in life? What kind of start did you get in life? Now, I know we all started as babies, so I'm not talking about that. But your start is determined by the home that you were born into, by the parents that raised you, and by those early experiences that you lived through. And what we're going to talk about and maybe even learn for the first time today is that your start is even determined by the grandparents and great-grandparents you had. Whether we realize it or not, so much of who we are has been shaped by our family 
of origin. Now, some of us had better starts than others, but regardless of how great our parents and upbringing was, we all come from imperfect origins. Many of us inherited some great things from our families, and that's awesome. But for the most part, our focus today is going to be on those issues in our lives that we're dealing with or working through. I'm talking about those addictions, unhealthy relationships, financial problems, character and anger issues. Have you ever stopped to consider whether those issues that you're dealing with began with you or if it can be traced back to your family history? You see, in the, in the medical world, and when it comes to our health, we understand that certain conditions can be hereditary. But when it comes to our character and behavior, whether destructive or positive, we are less likely to make that connection. Henry Cloud, who is a Christian psychologist, says, if you have a belly button, you inherited issues. You inherited issues. He goes on to say that there was only one perfect couple, and they messed up. And we are all part of Adam's family, and that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing. Imperfect origins, we all come from them. And our hope for this series is that despite the less than desirable beginnings that many of us had, our hope is that we would see that Jesus is able to redeem those areas in our lives where we didn't inherit the best start. This series is not meant to be a negative reflection on our parents uh, or our family lineage. The goal is not to bash them or point the finger, but the goal is that by looking back and identifying the destructive patterns that have plagued our family, that we would then be able to move forward in freedom and break the cycle for future generations. Many times you have to go back in order to move forward. And what we're going to discover throughout this series is that Jesus himself came from imperfect origins. The biblical writers do not attempt to hide that fact. In fact, whenever possible, they make sure to spotlight the unlikely characters and circumstances that are found in Jesus' lineage. And so to look at that lineage, or at least to start looking at it, we're going to read from Matthew 1, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's word this morning. We have very few traditions here at Epic. One of them is Advent, which we're celebrating or starting to celebrate this week. But the other is this reading of God's word as we stand. And so Matthew 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. That's it. You may be seated. Pray that God's word will speak to us this morning. Matthew begins his gospel. He begins the New Testament with language that points back to the book of Genesis. In fact, the Greek word translated as genealogy in verse 1 is actually the word the Greek word Genesis. It's actually Genesis, which means beginnings. And so this is the start or beginnings of Jesus from a human or earthly standpoint. And in verse 1, Matthew spotlights two figures in Jesus' lineage that are important to the Hebrew people, and that is David and Abraham. These are two of the heroes and fathers of the faith. God established covenants with each of them, and, and those covenants find their fulfillment in Jesus. 
With Abraham, it was the promise that the whole world would be blessed through him. And with David, it was the promise that a king would always sit on the, on the throne from his descendants. And Jesus fulfilled both of those promises. But despite the significance of Abraham and David and their great faith and love for God, these were imperfect men. In two weeks, Pastor Ben is going to teach from the story of David. And next week, he's going to teach from the story of Ruth, all in the lineage of Jesus. But for today, I want us to take a look at Abraham and the unfortunate inheritance that he passed on to his children and his children's children. Again, how many of you were at Focus? Okay. Oh, it's a great group, more than at 9 o'clock. Some of you will remember that Rich Velotis, who was our Focus speaker, he taught on this topic of the impact that our family of origins have on us. Um, I believe it was Saturday night. And it's a powerful message. It's, it's on our YouTube page, on our uh, Vimeo page. I, I recommend you check it out. But in that message, Rich talked about three factors from our families and upbringing that still have an effect on us today. And those are patterns, earthquake events, and scripts. The majority of his message focused on the scripts that we tell ourselves. But for today, I want us to spend our time talking about the patterns and generational sins or tendencies that plague our families. And we're going to do that by starting to look at Abraham. We can identify several patterns in the family of Abraham. For starters, the lying. In Genesis 12, Abraham's first lie is recorded. Now, I don't know, this wasn't likely his first lie ever in life. It was just the first lie that we read about. It's in Genesis 12. He and his wife, Sarah, find themselves in Egypt. And the bright side of the lie, if there is a bright side to a lie, is that he compliments his wife in the process. All right? It's always a good idea to shower your wife with compliments. All right? Uh, and, and so he tells Sarah that she is so beautiful that once the Egyptians see her, they're going to want her and they are going to kill him. Isn't that romantic, ladies? No? All right. Maybe not. But So because of her beauty, he asked her to tell them that she is his sister and not his wife. But he doesn't just lie about that once. He does it in Genesis 12, but he also does it in chapter 20. He tells the same lie to another ruler whose land he is passing through. Now, that's a pretty unique and specific lie. But as strange as it may seem, Abraham's son, Isaac, also passes off his wife as his sister because he fears for his safety. What are the chances? What are the chances? This is not a coincidence. You see, the Bible says very little about the life of Isaac. Genesis, Genesis 26 is the only chapter wholly dedicated to Isaac. It's the only one where you could say that Isaac is the main character of this chapter. He appears in several other chapters, but this is the only one wholly dedicated to him. This story, it's not a coincidence. It's included for a reason. The Bible is revealing a pattern that is present in the family lineage of the patriarchs. But as we will see in a minute, these patterns can also be found in our family histories as well. But the lying doesn't end with Isaac either. Isaac goes on to name one of his twin sons, Jacob, which literally means liar or deceiver. Now, if your name is Jacob 
or if you named your son Jacob, don't worry about that, okay? Um, there's other sub-meanings that are not as bad, okay? So I just want to, you know, there's a lot of Jacobs in our church, all right? But this meaning of liar and deceiver fits Jacob, all right? His life was characterized by lying and scheming. And then Jacob's sons, his 10 sons, lie to their father about what actually happened to their brother, Joseph. They sell him as a slave, but they say that he was mauled by a wild animal. And so here you have four generations. You have Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's 10 sons, all showing a propensity to lie and deceive in order to further their cause. And I wish I could tell you that it ends there with the lying, but the destructive patterns aren't just isolated to the lying. Unfortunately, we see favoritism present in each generation. And that favoritism wrecks havoc as one parent favors one child over the other. We also see sibling rivalry present in the descendants of Abraham in each generation. Marital problems are present in each generation. It doesn't matter what it is, the mess doesn't go away. It carries on from generation to generation to generation. So what is going on that is keeping this pattern going? What is happening? Let me give you a biblical framework for what is taking place in Abraham's lineage and what is also more than likely taking place in our very own families. And this is not going to be anything new because this is what modern medicine and psychology has been affirming. But here's the biblical perspective. In several passages throughout the Bible, we find this statement, that God punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate them. Now, that sounds harsh. Right? But you can see this phrase appear in Exodus 34 and Deuteronomy 5, and it appears in other places, but that's just two examples of where it happens. But one thing you need to know is that this is not talking about generational curses. This is not saying that you are trapped or being punished for the sins of your parents and grandparents with no way of escaping that. No, no. You see, because this idea that we are punished or, or trapped because of what someone else has did, did doesn't jive with other parts of the scriptures. Like in Ezekiel 18.20, where it says, the child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. Each one will be punished for what they have done. But what we learn from Rich at Focus is that the word punish, uh, an Old Testament scholar says, should actually be rendered as consequences. Consequences, not punish. Consequences. The children suffer the consequences of the sins of their parents. And those consequences can have a ripple effect up to the third and fourth generation. Now that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. That what my mom and pops did and what their mom and dad did has consequences on my life. And one of those consequences can be as simple as me repeating those very same destructive tendencies that they dealt with, as we saw with Abraham and his descendants. Now, I'm sure that as I've been giving some overview of the patterns of Abraham and his descendants that you have been thinking about your own family history. You don't have to answer this, but does anyone feel like they got the short end of the stick when it comes to the gene pool? It's possible. 
But here's a serious question for you to consider. How is your family, the home that you left, still shaping you? How is your family still shaping you? Are you finding that you are more similar to your parents than you would hope? Are you dealing with similar issues that your parents or grandparents dealt with? Sometimes it's hard for us to see the pattern when we are in it, right? It's hard for us to see the pattern when we, when we are in it, but I'm sure if you ask your spouse or you ask a sibling or, or you ask a friend who knows you and your family really well, they will be able to point out the similarities. And listen, if you find yourself in a generational cycle, I want you to know that there is hope, that there is hope. You need to know that Jesus so desires to free you from the generational consequences that you inherited. There is hope. But what you have probably already discovered is that those consequences aren't automatically gone when you first put your faith in Jesus. They don't just disappear. They don't just leave. But what ends up happening is that as we live out our life, as we continue to follow after Jesus, stuff starts coming out of us. We will do certain things that will shock us and remind us of our families of origin. And ironically, I was talking to Minnie about this. Ironically, what she said is that it happens more after we believe in him. Maybe we just become more aware. But I love this that she said to me is that that awareness or exposure to our sin and generational patterns are Jesus' invitation to free us from it. The fact that we're becoming aware, it's his invitation to free us from it. So when we see those generational symptoms begin to show up and pop up, we shouldn't hide it. We shouldn't bury it. No, 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 no. We should bring it to him. We should surrender it in order to find healing from it. Now, if we, if we come from a family where the unhealthy patterns are clear and we are feeling this moment to this day, the negative ramifications from those patterns, and it's a bit easier to see the need to come to Jesus. God, you need to free us from this. That's, that's a bit easier to do if we're feeling the pain of our family history. But some of us might say that we had the best possible upbringing. And I just want to say that that's awesome. That's great. And I mean that seriously. You see, because that's the kind of start that those of us who didn't have that want to give the next generation. But one of the things that I'm learning and realizing that if you think you escaped unscathed, unaffected by your family, then you probably need to delve a little bit deeper into that history. You see, because very few people, very few, emerge out of their families of origin emotionally whole and mature. Very few. Pete Cazero who is actually the founding pastor of the church that Rich is at, he writes this. He writes that shame, secrets, lies, betrayals, relationship breakdowns, disappointments, and unresolved longings for unconditional love lie beneath the veneer of even the most respectable families. For the longest time, even entering entering into my adult years, my perception of my up- upbringing was extremely positive. It was extremely, and, and, it, and quite frankly, it still is. But I would just say now that 
I'm seeing more of the truth and reality of my own family. Over the past couple of years, God has been revealing to me some of the patterns and consequences in my own life and family. These patterns include things like how my family viewed and managed money, unhealthy relationships, addictions, emotional immaturity, and on and on. Behaviors in my life that I once saw as like isolated to my own experience, like only, it's only me that's dealing with this, there's no connection to my past or my future, I'm now realizing that it's part of a larger narrative, a larger story. And let me just give you one example of what I'm talking about. When I was 12 years old, I graduated from the eighth grade. And the reason I graduated at such a young age is because I was able to skip the fifth grade. And so here I am at my graduation ceremony, the youngest in my class, the valedictorian, and I'm giving a speech before my peers, my teachers, and our families. The last thing I expected on this special day, it really was a proud moment for me and my family. But the last thing I expected on this special day is to find myself after the graduation ceremony to be walking by myself from the graduation ceremony because I didn't fit in the car. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that moment impacted my life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Here I am thinking, oh man, this is, this is so cool. I'm 12. I was already 5'10", so it's like I didn't look like most 12-year-olds. But still, the youngest in my class, valedictorian, take pictures outside, and they leave, and I walk. And maybe this is why I don't like to celebrate myself, why I devalue any success or achievement that comes my way, that I'm able to experience, because it's just not that big of a deal. It wasn't a big deal for others. It shouldn't be a big deal for me. But that sense of abandonment or unappreciation that I experienced was nothing compared to what my mom experienced growing up. You see, my, my mom and my aunt, her younger sister, were given away to be raised by another woman in the neighborhood. This is in Puerto Rico. Were given away to be raised by another woman in the neighborhood, in the same neighborhood that her mom and her two older brothers were living which, by the way, her two older brothers were not given up for adoption. In fact, my maternal grandmother went on to have 11 more kids, none of which were given up for adoption. So then I look at my story. It makes perfect sense why my mom wouldn't have any issues saying, you go ahead and walk because you don't fit in the car. I just think about my wife. Would she do that to our kids? No way. We're all walking, all right? We're all, <laughs> we're going to leave the car right here and we're all walking. But it was just a pattern. And it, it, man, just been reflecting on the possible impact 
that that moment could have had on my mom. And I come to realize that even though my mom could be the life of any party, seriously, she's 71 today, she can show up on Friday, by the end of that party, for our team party, everyone will know her name and know that she was here. She could be the life of any party, but despite that, I've never been able to, I've never been able to see her connect with anyone in a deep way. And then I think about my own struggle at times to connect with those closest to me. The patterns of the parents have consequences on the children and their children. Rich shared at Focus, if there's any unfinished business in our past, we repeat that history in the present, only deepening the wound. I don't want to repeat the hurtful patterns and destructive patterns of my family, and I know that you don't either. I want to repeat the good, but that other stuff, let us all just say that that other stuff, it ends with us. It ends with us, and it can end with us. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? For starters, we need to realize that this is going to be much harder than we ever imagined. That this process of breaking free from our family patterns of destruction is much harder than we think. If it were easy, everyone would be doing it, and we would have much more healthier families. Families would be much healthier. That's the first thing. Secondly, it's going to require us to come to grips with our families of origin and become knowledgeable about the patterns that are present in those family lineages. We have to go back into our family narrative in order to know what the unhealthy and destructive patterns that prevent us from loving ourselves and others as God designed. We have to go back. If you don't know too many details about your extended family or, your, um, or the previous generations, you may need to go to your parents or, or the matriarch of your family. There's always someone in the family that just has all the family secrets, right? Um, and you need to ask them some questions. And don't just be curious about the unhealthy patterns, right? Because that's just going to shut down the conversation. But mine also for the good things. There's good things as well that you inherited. And that's, we should celebrate those. But you have to go back to look for the patterns. This, going, this part about going back is super important. It's super important. For starters, it helps explain a lot of what is currently present in us. It helps explain a lot of what is currently, it starts to make sense. But secondly, it gives us a fresh perspective on our problems and, allow us, and it allows us to see the change that is possible. I want you to check out this quote by Edwin Friedman. Friedman was a Jewish rabbi and family therapist who wrote extensively on the impact of our family of origins. I would recommend his book, but they're really heady. They're not easy reads. But in his book, Generation to Generation, he wrote this. And I'm going to change the pronouns a little bit so that it, it kind of sticks home a little bit better. When, when family members, okay, when, when you are able to see beyond the horizons of your own nuclear family area of trouble, when you're able to look beyond yourself and you're able to observe the transmission of such issues from generation to generation, here's what happens. You often can obtain more distance from your immediate problems 
We need to do that. We need to obtain more distance from our immediate problems and as a result, become freer to make changes. Family trees are always trees of knowledge and often they are also trees of life. Let me ask you a question. Come on. Isn't it much easier to solve other people's problems than your own? Right? Someone comes to you with a problem, you're like, this is what you need to do. And what he says is, when you can take a step back and look at your family lineage and look at the patterns from generation to generation, that's what you're doing. You're just getting distance from the issues and you're separating it from yourself. And he says that will begin to unlock the keys that you need in order to find freedom. You're able to provide distance, get a fresh perspective on your own issues. So the first thing we need to do, we need to realize it's going to be harder than we think. The second thing we need to do is we need to go back, learn about our family histories. But the third thing, which is the most important thing, we need to trust in Jesus. We need to trust in Jesus. Here's the key, guys. We need to know that God's desire for our freedom is infinitely greater than our own. God's desire for your freedom is greater than your own desire. Jesus, who had a perfect start with God, He had a perfect start with God. He decided to inject himself into an imperfect genealogy. It was imperfect. And we see it automatically in verse 2. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's ten sons. He had a perfect start, but he decided to inject himself into an imperfect family. And he did that so that we can have God as our new beginning is so that we could have a fresh start. Guys, what I hope that we see today and have seen today and learned today is that we bring our family of origin into our workplace. We bring our family of origin into our relationships. We bring our family of origin into our marriage. We bring it into our first date. And everywhere else we go, we bring our family of origin with us. But while it is true that our family of origin affects us greatly, it doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to be the overriding narrative of our lives. We can change that. You see, guys, we started talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons and the patterns that were present in that family. But you need to know that Jacob had another son, and all of this is in the book of Genesis. Jacob had another son, and his name was Joseph. And this is the son that the brothers sold into slavery. And Joseph could have easily repeated the patterns of lying and favoritism and sibling rivalry. He could have just gone through that pattern again and continued to pass it down to the next generation, but he didn't. Instead, he chose to follow and commit himself to God. He forgave his brothers for what they did and began a new pattern of blessing for his kids and the generations to come. And we can do the very same thing. We can do the very same thing as we go back to learn about our families and move forward while trusting in Jesus. We can do the same thing. That phrase I mentioned earlier, where it says, and it appears several times in the Bible, where God punishes the, fa- the, 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 the sins of the father to the fourth and generation, four, third and fourth generation. Wherever you see that phrase appears, you see another phrase appears, another statement, another declaration. And it's this. You see it in Deuteronomy 5.10. But God shows love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. 
And I believe those are the options that are before us today to continue to repeat the family patterns that we've inherited or to see blessings come upon generation after generation as we follow and live for God, obey his commandments. I pray that we would choose like Joseph to be a blessing to the coming generations and to change that pattern and to break free from it. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good. God, we know that your purposes are great. And God, no matter how we may view our families, whatever perspective we might have of them, God, you placed us in those families. God, you placed us in a particular family at a particular time in history in a particular place. And God, you did that for a reason. And, and I, I believe and I know that you can set us free from the patterns that we've inherited. I pray that as we look back that we won't be crippled by it, but we will remember and have hope knowing that you will deliver us. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifices you made. God, even though you had the perfect start, you injected yourself into an imperfect family so that we could have a new beginning and a fresh start with God as our Father. Give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom and discernment that we need to move forward and be set free. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. The band's going to lead us in this song, Good, Good Father. Let's be reminded that we have a good father who loves us and has adopted us as his sons and daughters for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus. Let's respond. Thank you so much for joining us on the Epic Church podcast today. If you would like to learn more, you can go to epicsf.com. I want to also encourage you to download the Epic SF app so that you can keep up with everything that God is doing in and through this community in downtown San Francisco.